0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. There is a term in television writing called jumping the shark. Ron Howard reflects uh, this. Ron Howard reflected on this in a storyline in which the Fawns in Happy Days was jumping over a shark. He says, I remember Donnie most and I were sitting there looking at the script. Donnie was really upset. He said, Oh man, look what the show has devolved into. It's not even funny. Fawns is jumping over a shark. Other examples of shark jumping might be Dallas's dream season or, in my opinion, the office's season with Robert California. <laughs> Keith Olbermann criticized the inclusion of e-sports and sports gen- journalism, saying it was jumping the shark to cover, quote, snotty kids playing games. And the proof that The more things change, the more they stay the same. A CNBC anchor complained that Elon Musk had jumped the shark by focusing on cryptocurrency rather than Tesla. And this one hits a little too close to home to many of us. An interior designer was quoted in the Wall Street Journal complaining about kitchen designs today. She says they've jumped the shark. Why do we need kitchens like this just to unpack takeout? Basically, to jump the shark means that you lose the plot, to lose focus, to major in the minors. Christianity has jumped the shark. We think that Christianity is about making sure that people don't get punished for messing up. To save them from the God who is just looking to find people tripping up. That God is this pernicious ogre waiting to see you mess up so then he can punish you. But Christianity, Dallas Willard says, is not sin management. It's not. Christianity, the gospel, is not about sin management. Christians want it to be about sin management. So many Christians want the sermons to be not about the gospel, but about people's sins. Telling you all the people who are wrong in society and why we are better than them and why we have the secret to prevent from their eternal punishment. Despite what we wish, Christianity was not about controlling people's behavior. It is, as Nadia Boltz Weber says, Christianity is about raising the dead Christianity is about the proclamation he is not here, he is risen, and your sins have been forgiven. Paul, who is the earliest writer, spends most of his time explaining what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means. He says it's all about reconciliation, that that which was far off has been brought near. Sure, Paul spends some time dealing with pastoral issues of certain behaviors, but the bulk of his message was not that. And why Christians spend most of the time talking about what Paul said about this issue or in this issue or in this church or that church, rather than the whole of his message, which is that Christ is raised from the dead and you are forgiven. Paul's focus was proclaiming that the entire world, that Christ was raised from the dead and as he was raised, so to you. Preachers have a a hidden tool. It's called a biblical concordance. I can go and open up a concordance and I can look for a word in that concordance and I can find every instance in which that word shows up in Scripture. Now, some preachers really enjoy doing this to proof text things, generally about divorce or what women do in life. But let me proof text for just a moment about forgiveness. Here we go. In Matthew 9, 6, but so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, stand up, take your bed, go home. Mark 1, 4, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke 3, 3, he went to the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Judea and Jerusalem. Acts 5.31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that we might have repentance to Israel and forgiveness of our sins. Acts 10.43, the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of their sins through his name. Acts 13.38, let it be known to you, therefore, my brothers, that through this man's forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Ephesians one seven. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. And I have ten more passages that I'm not going to read. <laughs> Keep it short, preacher. We got. Um, we have a reservation. Jesus does not set up a punishment system to get people in line. In fact, Jesus' forgiveness goes beyond the purity systems that humans love to build. We love to judge people on whether or not they buy organic foods. Whether they eat meat or they don't eat meat, what they drive, what profession they have or if they don't have a profession, you all probably right now have been judging somebody in this room this moment. How do I know? Because I do it all the time. I am on Facebook and friends with most of you, and I ask all the time, why don't you call me to confess your sins? <laughs> and you all ask, why aren't you going to confess your sins and getting a therapist? Do you know who's frightened of resurrection and forgiveness? The powers and the principalities of this world. Why do you think the Romans placed armed guards around the tomb? For the same reason that the Egyptians feared the God who led the people from slavery into freedom. The Romans and the religious authorities feared an empty tomb. They freed forgiveness. They they, they feared freedom. Why? Why? Because the powers and the principalities of this world rely on fear and violence to keep people in line. But if God can raise the dead, you better watch out. And this is exactly what Matthew tells us. An earthquake hits on Easter morning. The earthquake does not even do justice to what Matthew is trying to tell us. Rather, Matthew is saying that there is a seismic, cosmic event that has happened. When Jesus rises from the dead. And all the arguments about whether the resurrection was a historical event or not, which I think it was, because as Bishop Michael Curry says, if the brother is still on the grave, we might as well well go home. But dealing with it solely at the historical level, did it happen or didn't, misses the power of the resurrection as a cosmic, seismic event in our life. G.K. Chesterton says that on the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized this new wonder, but even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of new creation in which a new heaven and a new earth and a new semblance of a gardener, God walked in the garden with creation once again. Not in the cool of the evening, but at the dawn. I think all of us place our own guards around the tomb, making Jesus a cheerleader, a life coach, our own personal Ted Lasso. Who doesn't love Ted Lasso? One of the reasons Ted Lasso, a show about a perennially positive coach, was so popular in COVID was because, frankly, we needed some positivity. Sometimes I just need to sit down with a bowl of honey grams, clearly the greatest cereal ever created, (laughs) and watch countless episodes of Friends or The Office because I can't be okay all the time but we also need a space and a season in which it's okay to not be okay. Someone said we only appreciate the light because of the darkness. And in those places of not being okay, in those places where I can actually admit that I am not the perfect father or husband or priest or friend or fill-in-the-blank, It's those times in which I realize I am not a superhuman that I can give thanks to Jesus for doing what I can't always do to myself or to others. Forgive. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.